Welcome back to The Daily Drum on WHUR, Sirius XM Channel 141, 96.3 HD2, and 98.3 FM. This is the Inside Segment. I'm Harold Fisher. How much do you know about prostate cancer? If you don't have it, you probably know someone who does. Well, tonight, as we recognize Prostate Cancer Awareness Month on this Medical Monday, we're shedding life on, on the significance the significant health concern for men, especially men of color. My guests are urologist Dr. Leslie Dean and Clinton Burnside, program manager for the Men Take 10 program at Howard University Hospital. If you have any questions, if you have a comment or concern about prostate health, prostate cancer, give us a call. Lines are open at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. You can X me at hfisher, W-H-U-R, or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. Thank you for having us. Sure. Thanks so much. Let me talk about some numbers, Dr. Dean. Uh, according to the American Cancer Society, men are 1.7 times more likely to be diagnosed with prostate cancer and more than two times likely to die from it compared to their white counterparts. I should have said black men. Um, do we know why that is? Excellent question. Uh, this is a multifactorial uh, issue. Um, African-American men are more likely to have a family history of prostate cancer. Um, there's socioeconomic factors that are at play. There's stress that's at play. Dietary factors may, may also be uh, increasing risk. And heritage, uh, West African men and descendants of West African men also have higher higher rates of, of prostate cancer. So the the short answer is it's a myriad of different factors that we believe are, are responsible for the increased risk. You just said, for example, dietary factors may have an, an impact on whether or not someone is diagnosed with prostate cancer. Can you drill down a little bit more regarding that? Yeah, so typically uh, diets that are high in dietary fat, uh, meat products, highly processed foods, uh, from the standpoint of fast foods are thought to increase, or increase risk. Uh, additionally, when we look at charred meats, aged meats, grilled steaks, the stuff that gets uh, sort of the black stuff on the, on the meat um, puts us at risk because of the nitrites that are in those uh, foods after they're after they're cooked. So very well cooked meats are thought to be risk factors. If we look at East Asian diets more so, uh, because the risk of prostate cancer is lowest in Asian populations, we find that diets that are higher in soy products. We find diets that uh, contain phytoestrogens from soy, for example, um, are thought to decrease the incidence of prostate cancer. Hmm. I, I, I never knew that. And because when you're talking about well-done meats, I do remember growing up, as opposed to, I think, with the advent of social media and that we are all exposed to different kinds of cooking techniques and more refined cooking techniques. But uh, 
a lot of black folks when it came to to steak and stuff like that if it wasn't well done they didn't want to eat it okay yeah. and and to your point you know a lot of times when it when it comes to we we know that everybody likes a good barbecue certainly um and and black folks are definitely uh, in that number i can see just from your description how that could be uh, an issue but i would also say that uh, that there are people who are not people of color who also like a good barbecue like red meat may eat um high fatty foods and love fast food so what's you know where is the line between people of color when we're just talking about diet now sure. uh that 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 are you know that white men are not are are, are less susceptible right so great great question again and i and i think that there's some overlap with each of these types of risk factors I don't think that there's a, you know, that there's a clearly delineated line uh, saying that if you eat this amount of red meat and it's well done, that you're going to increase your risk of prostate cancer. All of the factors tend to be more cumulative. So it's not any one set of factors that's going to dramatically increase your risk, but it's all of them put together. Um, so from a socioeconomic standpoint, stress, not getting enough sleep, all of these things lead to lead to uh, worsening health outcomes, uh, diabetes, hypertension, uh, smoking, uh, alcohol use, etc. All of these things come together. It's like a, you know, it's kind of like a series of, of waves. If the waves meet each other, then all of a sudden you get a fairly big wave. And that would be the increase in the increase in risk. Mm -hmm. And it may be that folks of other of other ethnicities have less of those waves or fewer of those waves. Mm. 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. We are talking about uh, prostate health, prostate cancer on this Medical Monday. If you have a comment or a question, give us a call. Again, lines are open at 202-319-7810. So, Clinton, again, good good to see you again. Thank you so much for for coming in. Um, does any of what Dr. Dean is sharing it, that's not new information for you, is it? No, not, not at all. I mean, it, it's very accurate, uh, but unfortunately, it's not new information. Um, especially with what we're seeing in the community when we're going out and doing our, a lot of community outreach and engagement, we're seeing just that. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, black men. Uh, you know, th there's a perception that black men don't go to the doctor um, as often as, as some other ethnicities. Um, but I, I think there's a lot more to it, um, like uh, Dr. Dean just kind of alluded to. I mean, there's other factors that play a role in it. But oftentimes when um, black men get to the doctor, it's not just, oh, well, you know, I'm here for prostate screening. Well, while I'm here, you know, well, um, you know, there's other conditions that they're also fighting and battling as well that can make their cancers or, or other conditions kind of worse off um, than, than we've seen in the general population. You just mentioned the outreach that, that you do, Men Take 10. What, what kind of outreach are you doing? What is that like? Oh, well, you know, that that's 
Excellent uh, question. And we've been doing this work for well over 20 years, but it's essentially really just meeting the community where they are going out, uh, not just sitting in our offices, but going out into the community to uh, partnering with local churches and barbershops and, and uh, community and civic groups uh, just to bring awareness to the community, to help men to understand, you know, kind of like Dr. Dean said, kind of what some of those small waves are, you know, so that we can kind of mitigate the big crashes coming together. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time um, just connecting with men and more importantly, meeting men where they are, meaning um, we, we, we have excellent information on what prostate cancer is. But when we oftentimes we go out into the community, we run into men that say, well, well, what is a prostate? You know, what is that about? So it's important that we spend that time to help men to understand what their bodies are, you know, uh, what it includes. Um, and kind of what their risk factors, helping them to understand um, what, what they're up against um, so that they can be better aware and not just be aware, but actually lead to action to go in to see their doctor um, before they have any major problems. Uh, does that surprise you that some men don't know what a prostate is? I, I, that kind of surprises me. Yes, it, it does surprise me. Um, however, you know, I, I find it all the time. You know, I, I go out into the community and I'll ask a man, the man that's going by, you know, when's the last time you saw your doctor and had your prostate screen? Well, I oftentimes hear, well, I, I just did and everything was okay. You know, they gave me that solution that I had to drink and, you know, then I went to my doctor the next day and so they told me everything was fine. Well, uh, in terms of, of what the different screening methodologies are, well, we don't you don't have to take a solution to drink uh, when you're getting a screen for prostate cancer. That's more in line with a colorect or colonoscopy. Right. Uh, but it's really just helping men to understand the difference of, you know, what their colon is versus their prostate and other um, organs. 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. So Medical Monday, we are talking about prostate health and prostate cancer. If you have a comment or a question, give us a call. Let's go to Ricky calling from D.C. Ricky, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? What's on my mind is white people who think that black people are more likely to get this and that or all kinds of diseases than they are. White people go to McDonald's and buy processed food and they eat all kinds of food just like we do. And that, 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 I get tired of hearing that because that's nothing but a bunch of garbage. So, And, and I think, Ricky... The, you know, to to your point, you know, I, that's why I was asking, you know, what what is the difference? Because we know, and and this isn't uh, a conversation about breast cancer, but we know that that women of color have higher incidences of of breast cancer. So it, it isn't garbage. I'm you know I'm not a doctor, Ricky, and and we have one here, but it it is true. But I think the thing that people need to understand or try to understand and I would think that the medical community is also trying to to understand is why is there a difference? Right, and I and I think that 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 needs further further study. Uh, one of the things that's important to know is that enrollment, for example, of African Americans in clinical trials, is lower. Uh, so it, it it tends to take longer to figure out these things in in the African American population. Um, you know, like I like I mentioned before, I I, I think it's a uh, a combination of multiple factors. It's not any one specific thing. If, for example, we look at um, at African-American folks in general, if we look at black people in, in general, um, 
black people don't have many genetic disorders. Um, so, you know, what, what constitutes a genetic disorder? So a, a problem that you have a, an issue with your DNA that leads you to get disease. That doesn't happen with the frequency in black folks that it does in other ethnicities. Um, so, you know, we know that it's unlikely to be a significant problem with the gene that you're born with. Uh, and we think that there are several factors that happen from the environment, for example, what you eat, where you live, um, uh, things like the water quality in the areas that you, that you live. There, there, there's so many things that play into the environmental exposures that may be leading to, to these increased risks in, in cancers. Mm -hmm. Ricky, thank you so much for your, your question. Uh, before I go back to the phone lines, uh, I was just struck by uh, something else when you, you said this is multi multifactorial. And this is a little off the subject, but I would imagine this is also one of the things that should be taken into consideration. Just last week, the CDC came out with information about the, the increase in instances of obesity. And it mentioned Louisiana, Alabama, Mississippi, and West Virginia, among others. Now, all three of, all four of those states... Um, have wide swaths of rural populations where access to medical care and possibly medical information is not as available. And, and so I think that to, to uh, Clinton's point where you're talking about not knowing what you are being tested for when you go, not asking, not going, could be one of those multifactorial things that you were just discussing. Absolutely agree, 100%. Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm not a doctor, like I said. 202-319-7810. <laughs> Lee, calling from Southeast D.C. Lee, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, good evening. Hi, go right ahead. Hi, I'd like to get clarity on um, the doctor's comment when he keeps saying well-cooked food. Are you talk is he talking about in terms of like cooking it on a grill and leaving it there out on a barbecue grill? Or are you talking about like when you want to put something in the oven or in the frying pan and cooking it all the way through? So I'm trying to get clarity when he's saying well-cooked food. Def definitely cook your food so that it's so that it's cooked and you don't run into problems with undercooked food. Uh, but I, I'm more specifically referring to to things on the grill. So anything that's going to cause a significant amount of char to be on the meat, you know, the the char is what tastes best. To be to be honest, I mean, you know, so we we like to char the the food around the around the edges. Well, that may be increasing the the chances of things like nitrates, nitrites being on the on the food that can then have a deleterious effect uh, in terms of what we call oxidative stress or things that that uh, that affect your your cells. But you're not. But you. But moreover, I think you are. You were also talking about just the, for example, the consumption of red meat. More, more or less. Yeah. I mean, even if you, even if you're grilling chicken and mm -hmm. that has char on it, 
uh, that can also be be significant. So not only not only red meat. And again, you know, I think everything um, in in life, if we if we do things in moderation, that's that's best. So it means don't eat a grilled steak every single day. Don't eat a grilled steak Saturday, Sunday, every single weekend. Uh, you know, mix things up a, a bit. Eat fresh, wholesome foods, plant-based uh, diets have also been shown to be somewhat more protective from the standpoint of, uh, of, of developing cancers because the stress from, from healthy uh, plants may be less on your, maybe less on your cells. So that, that's also something to, to consider. Now it's very difficult to eliminate meat altogether, uh, but you know, if you focus on, on moderation, uh, then I then I think that that's that's going to be going to be best in the end. Lee, thank you so much for your phone call. PJ calling from DC. Jamal calling from Waldorf. We're talking to you next. Do not hang up. You will be able to hear the program. We continue our Medical Monday conversation about prostate cancer. Stay with us. The Daily Drum will continue on Sirius XM channel 141 and 96.3 HD2. I'm Harold Fisher. John Mons is next with the original Quiet Storm. That's on WHUR. This conversation continues in just a few seconds. Welcome back to The Daily Drum on Sirius XM Channel 141. I'm Harold Fisher. We continue our conversation about prostate cancer on this Medical Monday. My guests are urologist Dr. Leslie Dean and Clinton Burnside, program manager for the Men Take 10 program at Howard University Hospital. If you have comments, if you have questions, give us a call at 202-319-7810, 202-319-7810. You can X me at HFisherWHUR or find me on Instagram at Harold T. Fisher. Uh, before I go back to the phone lines, Clinton, I mentioned the Men Take 10 program. Share with our listeners, if you can, what it is exactly. Okay, so Men Take 10, it's a men's health education and early detection program, which essentially consists of three different parts. The first part being uh, our early detection or screening component, and which, um, you know, we, we, I'm sorry, let me back up. The first component is the education piece where we go out into the community to bring the awareness about um, health concerns for men overall with a specific interest in prostate cancer. And then the, the second part is the screening part in which we encourage men to make an informed decision on whether or not to be screened and how often to be screened. Um, but we still encourage men to get the prostate specific antigen test, which is a blood test, as well as a digital rectal examination as well um, when they have when they get screened. And then the third part of a program is our peer-to-peer support, which we call our Men's Health Awareness Clubs, which meet on the second Wednesday of each month virtually. So we think that with that three-pronged approach, we're able to really connect with men regardless of where they are in terms of their health journey and to to get them in, um, uh, I won't say in compliance, but to get them the information so that they can make informed decisions about their health to be in compliance with some of the general health screenings so that they can live a healthier um, and more productive life. Are you finding less pushback relative to the the digital uh, rectal exam I, I know when we first started having these conversations on this program as long as i have been hosting it there was 
visceral pushback on that. Um, but I think, anecdotally speaking, that the, I think the reality of what happens if you are not uh, examined and the reality is that you could die. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade that you know, nobody, you know, nobody likes it. Nobody likes going to the doctor, period. Yes. But uh, are you finding less pushback now, more acceptance of that, or is it about the same? Honestly, I think it's about the same. I think the difference is really their true understanding in, in terms of sitting them down to say, hey, you know, yes, the DRE can be a little uncomfortable, but this is the importance of it. The, this is the information they're able to, to obtain when they do this uh, when they do this exam and that in combination with the results of your PSA gives the, the physicians a better sense of what's going on in terms of your prostate health. Now, it's not a cure all for everything, but it certainly provides more information kind of kind of like uh going back to dr uh dean earlier the small waves the the psa as well as the dr kind of like small waves that that we can kind of uh keep an eye on so that to kind of prepare us to and and it's not an exact science but kind of compare us or prepare us for that big wave that may come eventually and, and suffice it to say you know dr dean that like any e exam even with so much modern technology and so many advances that we are seeing year after year there's there's something about what doctors can can touch right. what they can see what they can hear i e you know stethoscopes they're they're still tapping on your back <laughs> you know with this and listening and they are still you know, examining you with their hands. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that there really is a substitute for that. So uh, this is a great conversation because, you know, I think through the, uh, through the pandemic, when there was a lot of telehealth going on, mm -hmm. we sort of came to realize that maybe... A lot of the examinations that we do are not a hundred percent necessary um, and and to that point for prostate in particular we've been doing more and more MRIs of the prostate that allows us to see the entire prostate gland right because if you if you look at the at the prostate anatomically it has a left it has a right it has a front and a back we can only feel the back and part of the left and part of the right. We, we can't feel the front of it at all. Uh, and there's definitely a subset of patients who have small lesions that are too deep to feel that may end up growing and growing rapidly over a period of time. And there's some patients who have lesions in the front of the prostate or what we call the anterior prostate, which we cannot feel at all. Uh, so again, a combination of, of things, blood tests, rectal examination, MRI. Um, several urologists have sort of uh, taken a step back on the DRE uh, because of the hesitancy that we talked about uh, earlier. Um, but I don't think that we are at a point as yet where it can be completely eliminated. Uh, you know, things like 
for insurance reasons, everyone may not be able to to get an MRI. MRI, yeah. Right? And, and hopefully at some point we will, at uh, some point not too far from now, we'll get to a point where everyone can have some form of imaging, whether it is an MRI or some other test that's coming down the pipeline, uh, to really predict is this prostate, does this prostate have something in it that this particular person needs to be concerned about now? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that that's where we need to, where we need to get to. Mm-hmm. In addition to other supplemental tests that say, uh, that will give us information on this particular individual's risk of having something that's going to affect their life expectancy, their well-being, etc., is some percent. And then we can get into a conversation about, you know, what a person's uh, what a person's goals and objectives are for the rest of their life, what matters to what matters to that individual, so that we can really personalize the diagnostic algorithm, and we can really per- personalize any treatment subsequently that that may or may not be warranted. Back to the phone lines two zero two three one nine seven eight one zero two zero two three one nine seven eight one zero Jamal. Calling from Waldorf. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? <clears throat> Jamal, are you there? Yes, I'm oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm here. Yeah, go um, right ahead. What's on your mind? I, well, I have a question. Uh, what if you diagnose with uh, early stages of uh, prostate cancer? Um, what are your solutions? Um, I mean, is there, you know, is... is is there any cure um, other than surgery or uh, whatever other treatment? But is there a cure for early stages? So great, great question, Jamal, and thanks for thanks for that. Uh, so, so cures basically depend on exactly what's in the prostate. So, if something is low stage and low grade grade meaning the level of aggressiveness of the prostate cancer and then uh, we take into consideration significant consideration actually a person's age so if you're very young then uh, if you have a low grade low stage uh, cancer you know you you may not want to to do anything i mean this may be something that you can uh, be on a close surveillance program for uh, and you may not need any invasive therapy if this is a very small uh, lesion. Now, there are two schools of thought uh, about this in that if you're, if you're young um, and there's any suggestion that it may be a higher grade, uh, that you should have intervention early. Uh, and that really is up to the person's physician in close consultation with the with the individual because again you know we need to we need to really know what's important to that person if someone's in their 40s and they're you know active uh with with intimacy etc and that's going to be a a big factor as opposed to someone who is in their early 70s who may not be um, who may not be so uh, so active at, at, at this time. So it, it really is a matter of balancing priorities, goals, uh, and expectations. And, you know, you really need to find a, a physician that is going to be able to sit down with you and have a, a, a real discussion, give all the information that is necessary to help you make the best decision for, for you. 
um, you know, as a as a physician, I, I myself and, and many of my colleagues, we we provide the education, but we provide it in a way that anyone can use that information to come up with a decision that is that is best for them as an individual. You know, we don't want to force anyone to, oh, you need to have surgery right away or you must have radiation. Because at the end of the day, you know, what what may be good for me or what I may choose for myself or a family member may not actually be uh, something that's favorable for another person. Uh, you know, we really need to, 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 to consider that carefully. Jamal, thank you so much for your, your phone call. Uh, you were nodding your, your head, Clinton. You had some thoughts you wanted to share. Oh, no. I, I mean, I was just agreeing with everything uh, Dr. Ding was, was saying, you know, um, you know, it's really, um, you know, just just encouraging the, the men to to get the information that they need, you know, so that they can make the best or, or most informed decision for themselves. You know, because part of what I do is I tell men, you know, at the end of the day, yes, uh, you know, you are the one uh, if you're diagnosed, you're the one who's going to have to deal with the, the treatment as well as the side effects, whatever they may be. So it's important that you get all the information that you can up front um, and then to make and then and not just get the information but have discussions with your family members as well as your your doctors um, about what to expect um, because you're gonna have to deal with that um, you know day in and day out until the issue is resolved uh, PJ calling from DC thanks for calling PJ what's on your mind yes hey Harold how's everything I love your show thank you appreciate so much the, really appreciate the topic I actually have a question about the frequency of the exam but i did want to say um 51 year old uh african-american howard grad i actually went in and had my first uh, prostate exam at 45 um <clears throat> and i encourage those to go and get everything checked out because i had not seen a primary care physician in a number of years and i didn't want to fall dead over something that could have been caught early and uh, treated so um after that i had a colonoscopy as well at 45 and everything came out well. They had come back in 10 years for the colonoscopy. Okay, fine. But the next year when I saw my PCP, he gloved up again. And I was like, wait a minute. I just, you know, I just went, I just had this done a year before. So the digital exam, I guess my question really is, um, between the PSA and the digital exam, the recommendations for the frequency, of course, you're supposed to go see your PCP every year, but the frequency of getting it, of getting it checked between the PSA and the uh, digital, and I just heard you guys talk about MRI, which is not as invasive, invasive but you can see more. Um, so my question kind of like really leads more towards, gentlemen, what, what would the recommendations typically be? Because as we all know, who've had it done, it's very uncomfortable for a period of time. But I think it's a necessary evil that you have to have it done. Um, but if, can, do we, is there a recommendation from every year do you have to have the digital every year? Or is it recommended for the digital every year? Or can you go back and forth between the PSA and the digital between odd years? And I thank you for taking my call. Sure. Great, great question. And, you know, a number of, a number of salient points which, you, which you've made. Um, yes, the digital exam, as we, as we discussed, is uncomfortable. And, you know, I think that you really need to have an assessment of what an individual's risk of having prostate cancer is. Uh, if that individual has a PSA that's normal and they have a digital rectal examination and or an MRI and those are also normal, then the frequency of screening can be, can be spread out. 
so it may not need to be annually. Uh, if, however, a person's risk is elevated, let's say you're, you're African-American, you have uh, two brothers and a father who had prostate cancer, you have uh, folks in the family who have breast cancer or um, uh, ovarian endometrial ca cancer or colon carcinoma. These are things that, that would categorize that person as a higher risk individual. Uh, and then you may, you may want to intensify the, f the screening frequency based on those factors. So if, if someone has no risk factors and we estimate that their risk of having prostate cancer is low, then yes, you can spread out the interval. If someone is high risk or intermediate to high risk, uh, you may want to um, uh, get checked more frequently yeah. just so that you don't miss something. And I, and I will say, you know, it's less than 10 seconds. It's not as bad as going to the dentist. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, I get, you know, the, the physical discomfort as well as the emotional or mental discomfort, but it's, it's a really short thing as opposed to, you, you know, you're, you're on your back in the dentist chair, you got that light, and, the, and your dentist says, ooh. See, you don't want to hear that when exactly. when you're in the dentist chair exactly. because you're going to be in the dentist chair for more than an hour, <laughs> you know. So, you know, yeah. to your point, PJ, it, you know, you, you you gotta, yeah, you want to know, do I have to do this again? Yeah, I may have to, but it, it's better to to have that eight or nine seconds discomfort, and then have the doctor, you know, snap the glove off and say you're okay. As opposed to, you know, him saying we need to have a conversation because you didn't have the exam. So, PJ, thank you so much for, for sharing with us. Let me go to Arnie calling from Maryland. Arnie, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Uh, yes, I have a question. Sure. I, I hear everything what you're saying prevent, but I don't hear nothing about for I don't hear no one talk about detoxing keeping your colon clean, you know, is, is that a method that can be used? You're talking about yeah. re in regards to your prostate? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, Dr. Dean? Yeah, you know, um, colon cleanses have been popularized in sort of naturopathic, um, naturopathic uh, medicine. I don't know that there's any evidence per se that shows that that's beneficial for for colon health. Uh, I think if you're eating a clean diet that's high in fiber, high in plant-based products that keep your uh, bowel movements, your stool uh, formed regular, not con not uh, not diets that lead to constipation, so that you know, sort of your colon transit time is not. Uh, is not too is not long. Um, I, I don't think that there is any benefit to that. Uh, certainly not for not for prostate. I don't think there have been any studies that show that it's that it's beneficial. You know, again, if if um, you know if these are things that are not going to cause you harm, 
um, and there may be a benefit, then, um, you know, from a medical standpoint, it's, it's probably okay. Um, but it's difficult to, you know, it's difficult to cleanse the colon per se. You know, and, we, and I would, and help me with this, Dr. Dean, because there is a, a difference between clean eating and cleansing one's colon. Correct. Uh, so clean eating would be high fiber stuff, minimize the, minimize the processed foods, have regular formed uh, bowel movements, avoid constipation, uh, etc. as opposed to drinking a, a, a lot of liquid or infusing an enema of some sort to clean the, to clean the colon. Um, I, I don't know that that benefits the prostate health in, in general. Arnie, thank you so much for your for your question. Uh, 202-319-7810. 202-319-7810. Sam calling from Waldorf. Thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Hi, can you hear me okay? Yeah, go right ahead. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to uh, share my journey with prostate cancer. Um, like in 2013, I was um, diagnosed with prostate cancer. Um, and I decided to have my prostate removed, thinking that that would take care of it. Um, five years later, um, my numbers started coming up again. So I said, okay, I, as I saw the doctor, we decided to go ahead through the radiation process. So now I had the prostate removed, then I had the radiation process. Radiation process, after that, a couple of months, realized the numbers were still going up. Um, they are still going up slowly, but they were still going up. Um, so now I'm at the point now that I'm being checked regularly but I'm at the point that I have to decide if I'm going to go through the hormonal treatment um, process. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot, but I, I try to look at it like um, I'm here still at least to, to go through this process. If I haven't gone to a doctor as I does regularly, you know, who knows where I would have been at. The other thing is that I'm pretty athletic, um, pretty good in shape. I don't eat a lot of um, red meat. In fact, rarely a lot of red meat. I don't eat a lot of um, fast food. Um, I try to stay a active. So it was a kind of surprise to me when I, when I got it. But fortunately, going to the doctor probably saved my life, for, at, at least at this point. But I know what happens with the hormonal treatment. And, and that's just what I wanted to share. Your, your thoughts about what you were sharing, uh, Dr. Dean? So, uh, you know, you, you've obviously had a, a, an almost decade-long uh, journey dealing with this, and I think that, you know, you touch on a very good point uh, in terms of your physical well-being and, and exercise, and, and, and that's important. Uh, very important as well is your frame of mind. Um, you know, it's, it's tough when you, when you make a decision to have one treatment at a particular time because at that time uh, it seemed like the right thing to do. Very easy to think back and think that you made the wrong decision, but you should try your best not to, not to do that because, you know, in the health journey, you know, usually unless, unless a, a significantly incorrect decision has been made, the decision that you make as an individual for your personal well-being, you have to, to continue to think that that was the right decision at the time. And like you alluded to just now, had you not done that, who knows what would have, what would have happened. So I think, uh, you know, what you're describing is, is along the continuum of care for prostate, for prostate cancer. Yes, oftentimes these things do recur. 
and you know it's important to take a stepwise approach to addressing each each hurdle as they as they come along you mentioned uh hormonal therapy yes that's a that's an option there are some other options as 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 well uh in terms of of more directed uh therapy also in terms of of chemotherapy um and these are things that you know i would urge you to to also discuss with your with your physician and certainly uh in any health journey always a good idea to to seek a second opinion uh you know doctors shouldn't get upset with uh with folks seeking second opinions because you know you need to really figure out uh if your doc is is telling you all of the information majority of times they they will be in uh and it will help to instill confidence in your confidence in your physician that yes you know this person has really has really done the 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 best for me and um and solidify solidify that and if i could just add to that i mean i I think i would also suggest that you um connect yourself with um with other men um, that are going through similar situations. Uh, I, I mean, and, and I'm not a uh, cancer survivor, but I, I understand that uh, oftentimes men, after they're diagnosed, they feel it's their personal, I mean, it is their, your personal experience, but trust me, you're not the only one that have gotten to that point. Um, and regardless of how many times you know, you, you've gone in um, for different treatments, it's important that you connect with other like-minded men that can give you true and relevant information that can help you to just understand that, um, yes, it's difficult what you're going through, but this, is my, this was someone else's experience. And together, when you, when you sit down with someone else um, that have gone, had a similar experience, maybe not the exact same, you may hear something different um, that, that may uh, strike you, uh, that may prompt a question for you to go back to, and to have the conversation with your doctor that can be completely different but change the course of, of, of your treatment and, more importantly, your mindset and understanding that it's not something that you have to fight alone. And, Sam, I, I will say uh, this is a rhetorical question, but, you know, who, who is your best friend? Your best guy friend. And the reason I, I, I ask that and I say that is because my guys, you know, the guys that I have known, my gracious, for more than 40 years, all of whom are in the, the DMV, we have had, and, and none, none of us are... are are going through this. But what we have had is the conversation specifically about, about, you know, did you have your exam? And, you know, what, you know, what happened? And it's, you know, it's just, it is no different than the guy sitting around talking about the ball game. But, it's a different set of balls that they're talking about. (laughs) If you get my meaning. And, and to know that, you know, the, the guys that you know and love, your ride-or-die buddies, the one you, you know, played ball with, the one you played cards with, the one that you went to the clubs with, whatever you did, uh, when it comes to the, the serious life and death issues, that you have someone that you can really have these kinds of conversations because... 
even though this may be something that you're going through, the kind of information that you're sharing with sharing with them may help them down the road, or they may have some information uh, or support that they can share with you. It's it's really it's really really important that you know that guys have these conversations. So, you know, I, the best of health to you, Sam, and and, and thank you so much. For, for sharing with us. Uh, let me go to Michael. Michael calling from Rockville. Michael, thanks for calling. What's on your mind? Uh, yeah, thanks for having this conversation. Sure. Um, I was calling regarding uh, 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 bladder health and, and how, how does the bladder affect the prostate? I guess that's, that's one of the, There's so much information uh, or uh, I guess information still out here, but but who knows what to trust and and because uh, dealing with swollen prostates, uh, how does the bladder affect that? So excellent, excellent question. Um, the prostate, as you as you know, is a small organ that lies just beneath the bladder, and through the mi- through the middle of it runs the urethra or the urinary passage. So the urethra is the tube that goes from the bladder out to the tip of the penis, and basically allows the urine to be evacuated. Now, uh, as your prostate enlarges, imagine there's only uh, a finite amount of space inside your inside your pelvis. So, you know, it's going to grow backwards. It's going to grow forwards a little bit because right in front of it is the pubic bone. So it can't go too far forward. It's going to go to the side, but it, it can also grow up into the base of the bladder. As the prostate grows, it can squeeze on the urethra, and that changes the uh, the dynamics, so to speak, of how the bladder works. If you have a, a prostate gland, we call it a, a a median lobe or a middle lobe of the prostate that grows up into the base of the bladder. It gives your bladder the sensation that there's something in there all the time, even when you've emptied your even when you've emptied your bladder, and the resistance on that tube. When your bladder then squeezes, the urine flow comes out slowly. So you end up going frequently, you end up going at night, you end up with a discomfort there. So there, there are a lot of uh, dynamics that, that are at play with the bladder and, and prostate just because of their intimate association. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much for your question. I am going to have to let that be uh, the last word, but I, I want to thank both of you for coming in and helping us set the record straight and and sharing as much information as possible from support to diet to treatment. Hopefully, we've been able to provide some insight uh, for some of the guys out there. So, again, Dr. Leslie Dean, Clinton Burnside, thank you so much. Thank you Thanks so much. That is The Daily Drum for this Monday, September 25th. I'm Harold Fisher. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>